Welcome to the Michael Slate Show. I'm your host, Michael Slate. That's right. I'm back. I'm dropping things all over the place. Oh, there goes the hamster. Oh, yes. It's going to be a hell of a day. All right. We do have a we have a very, very, very important something that, you know, I've been thinking about doing it again. I know we, we used to do it more often, but really digging into some deep questions for people, you know, and, and in, in terms of changing the society, in terms of changing the entire way people are forced to live, you know, and you see it day in and day out. You see somebody dead on the corner, and you, you know, people, people, so many, some people are checking it out. Some people are just saying, I got to walk around. You know, there's all this stuff that's happening. Obviously, I <laughs> saw something that wasn't all that cool. And uh, it struck me a lot um, over the last few days. And and I kept thinking about this radio show. I th- kept, kept thinking about what we do here, what the station is about, all this stuff, and, and how we actually have, I think we really have, we have an imperative situation for ourselves. You know, we have, we are, we need to, if we know something, we need to act on it, all right? We need to act on it. And... You can't just sit back and say, yeah, it's here, it's here. Somebody else will take care of this stuff. We need to act. And uh, that's a big part of, I think, what this show is going to be about today. And sitting across the street from me, that's right, the street. Sitting across the street from me is someone who I've had on the show, oh, I guess, what, one or two times (laughs) in the last, (laughs) Michelle Chai. And she's been on the show quite often, and and I always look forward to having you come back on. So how you doing? Good. Yeah. Really glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you're here too. And I better just tell people what the rest of the thing is, and then we'll jump into what we're going to talk about. All right. So at the back end of the show, we will be talking with Charlie uh, Mount and Nick McDoo-Mushle uh, from a play I saw recently uh, called Our Man in Santiago. And we've also got an important announcement about a serious health crisis of Nahid Taghabi, a political prisoner in Iran. And people might remember we've been talking about her for a while um, now, and it's extremely important. And we're going to be going, hopefully, going to be able to do a show around her pretty soon. But opening the show up, basically, I'm really happy about this. You know, I know it's been a long time. You've been, I saw you like walking down the street, and I went to say, Michelle, come back. And, and you were gone, you know, like you said. <laughs> so, anyway. Opening the show up, and I'm happy to welcome back to the show, is Michelle Chai, one of the leaders of the Revolution Club in Los Angeles. Now, we're going to be talking about the abortion emergency, the March for uh, Reproductive Rights, and uh, everything in the U.S. and the contingents that the uh, RevComs are organizing, all right? Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. Really yeah. glad to be here. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're here, too, as I said. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's let's jump into this because I don't want to I don't want to you know end up with wasting a lot of time and saying okay we don't have the time to conf- to finish this. We need to have make the time. We need to make it as important as we can here right now. And I think that's what we're going to be doing. Okay, so first, why are we here? What's this crisis? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I think you know last week you know it's really important that you've been you know opening your show up to be able to get into these important questions in this moment right and you know as we sat here last week and talked about you know as well and and for people that weren't able to hear last week we're talking about the abortion emergency you know the fact that in Texas right now abortion has been effectively taken away they've passed this law that went into effect September 1st that basically is a six-week abortion ban. Women can't get an abortion past six weeks. And for anybody that knows anything about 
pregnancy and the way that women's bodies function is frankly impossible for a woman to find out, you know, very rare for a woman to find out that she's pregnant even before six weeks. And this is basically forced motherhood. You know, so many women that their whole lives are being foreclosed because of of this ban. In a society where rape and sexual assault is such, it's a thing, you know, women, being a woman in this society walking down the street, you have to be looking over your shoulders all the time, you know, making sure somebody's not going to grab you. But not just that kind of rape or sexual assault, but the fact that so much of that happens in the home, either by their partners, either by their family members or close uh, family friends that women, like, just get raped and sexually assaulted. Or even just the fact that a woman can't even have sex with her partner and end up pregnant and have an unplanned pregnancy, that now they're being forced to become mothers. You know, whatever the circumstance of, of their pregnancy is, this law is basically taking away the rights of women to, to get an abortion. And one of the really heavy things that I read in a New York Times article was, you know, the story of this woman who went into the clinic in Texas. She found out she was pregnant at five weeks, so she went in to get an abortion. And, you know, when they did the ultrasound, they there was nothing there, right? So they said, okay, you qualify for to get the abortion, but they had her come back the next day. She came back the next day, and when they put the ultrasound, you know, the, she describes the, the, the thing you, you hear is dum 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 And she said her whole... Basically, her her dreams and aspirations, what she thought was going to come after this abortion just kind of flew out because she knew that now she's condemned to become a mother. And she walked out of that clinic room and she went into the hallway and she she was confronted with all these women who were in the same situation and they're sobbing because they know that they can't get an abortion. And she just, you know, began sobbing with them. You know, this is the reality for women in Texas. Those are our sisters. And not just that, but these Republican fascists are actually uh, making similar laws all across the country. And on December 1st, there's going to be, uh, you know, the Supreme Court is going to hear out one uh, something that can basically overturn Roe versus Wade on a national scale. Mm-hmm. You know, before we go on, I just want to make sure that people know who you are and what you're doing. Okay, so why don't you tell people that? Um, so, I mean, I'm a part of the Revolution Club in Los Angeles, and the Revolution Club we're getting organized for an actual revolution. You know, to get rid of this whole system. And as part of getting prepared for that time, we really need to be fighting back against these assaults, not just the rights of women, but you know, when you look all around you, you know, what's happening in, at the border in Texas, the attacks on on the environment and the planet, the destruction of the environment and the planet, all of these things that actually flow from a system of capitalism, imperialism. And I'm part of organizing these contingents and the Women's March because this is a stop everything moment. And as part of, you know, this isn't just an isolated question off to the side. This has everything to do with where the future of humanity is actually heading to right now. And this is part of why I'm a part of organizing these contingents. We're organizing for an actual revolution. All of this has got to be, you know, ended. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really important what you're saying because I think people, a lot of times they don't, they just sort of, either they hear things and then they just, it slides by or they... You know, even reading it, or you know, look, I, I have a whole pile of things in front of me, and no, and I read this stuff, and I'm, and I pay attention to it. But I also have had friends who said, oh, yeah, I, I looked at the first, you know, half half a page and wasn't real interested." And you think, and you pick it up, and you're realizing that you know, <laughs> this is somebody talking about an entire uh, an entire setup that in, that basically condemns women in this situation. It condemns mm-hmm. women to a life of 
you know, go to hell, basically. There's a real need for people to know the slogans that are out there for the contingents this week, because this situation that you're talking about, this is something that I think is, has got to be pounded out really, really you know, out there in the world now. People have to recognize this. They have to see that this assault on women is an assault on humanity. And it's, it's, yes, it's especially on women. And then, and then within that, it's something that all people who are part of the human nation the human, or the human you know, existence need to pay attention to this. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about that a little bit more because, you know, it's sort of like people, sometimes people just like let that go by, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it'd be important to just t- touch on that and to talk about, well, what does this mean? You know, because there are people, the people that are actually, that are being just demolished in all this, they have, one, they have a right to live and two, they have a right to actually not go through hell on all this, you know? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that a little yeah, I mean, the way that these Christian fascists, how they view the role of women, right, comes from the Bible. And actually, like, they really believe that women's place in this society is to make babies and to be submissive to men. That's how they see that, right? And through the whole, when you look at historically the role of women and how that's actually developed, right? This is a, the, a lot of the work that Bob Avakian, you know, who I follow and the refcoms follow, has done some important work on like even looking, analyze, looking at how this has actually like unfolded, right? Since the the 1960s where there was the whole women out in the streets, you know, the whole like being really open about their sexuality and just like, you know, we're human beings, you know? And and then since then there had been like, you know, women in getting careers in the workforce and, you know, and, and this has actually spread on a global scale, right? Where you now have women in like, you know, and it's not a good thing because you have a lot of these women in like factories that are being brutally exploited and like making clothes and things like this. Right. And this actually has put, you know, some necessity on these fascists and how they view women, the fact that they're not at home, you know, taking care of the children and all, all this and that. Right. And they're trying to shove all that back into a bottle, right, by force. And this is where these laws come in. This is the, the, the male supremacist, white supremacist society that they envision and that they're fighting for. And they're like, and they're advancing on, you know? And this is the importance of these slogans that you're speaking to, right? On October 2nd, we the refcoms are gonna be marching in, you know, and we're calling on everybody who, you know, we're organizing these contingents and we're calling on people to march with these contingents and they're called Break All the Chains Contingents. Unleash the fury of women as a mighty force for revolution. No going back, no surrender. Abortion on demand and without apology. Forced motherhood is female enslavement. Christian fascist theocrats, get your laws and vigilantes off our bodies. And patriarchy and capitalism, you can't end one without ending the other. Revolution, nothing less. And this is really speaking to the situation that we're in now. And and the third one in particular, this thing of these Christian fascists that are passing these laws and not just taking away the right to abortion, but are actually like unleashing these bounty hunters on these women that even think about getting an abortion or anybody who helps them. You can be an Uber driver and be driving these women to a clinic and you could get sued. And and these people can get paid up to $10,000 for doing that. This is like unleashing terror 
pressure on these people to that are even thinking about this or considering it or are looking for any way to get help. You know, this is this is the situation that these people are unleashing and it's on us to actually fight back around this and the importance of these break the chains contingents. When you march with these break the chains contingents, you are actually like not just making a, a stand, but you're saying I'm not going to put up with this and I'm actually going to fight back and fight for people to actually come together to fight back around this. You're listening to The Michael Slate Show and I'm talking today with Michelle Chai and we're talking about the horrific Things that are being put down on women simply because they're women who demand, basically, look, you know, who demand man people recognize their humanity. And in this world today, this is a very, very, very sharp, very, very sharp, you know, point because there's a lot of stuff that just comes on this, you know. You know, let's talk about this a little bit more because, you know, when you talk about, you know, one of the things it's we can and there's a lot because we could spend an entire hour on talking about the the horrors that have been laid out on women, you know, for, you know, for so many times, so many ways, so many different ways, you know, everywhere you go. I mean, I'm looking at, at mag, I'm looking at the magazines and, and newspapers in front of me and we could go through this in like, yeah, 10 hours if you wanted to really get into this because it's, it's, it's just a huge, huge, you know, basically look, it's a huge, uh, it's a huge assault on, on women as if they were not people. You know, as if they were they were they were there for the whatever, for the amusement, for the you know working, for whatever. You know, but it's sort of this is the kind of thing that we're up that we're up against now. And when you talk about you know right now, one of the things that's happening, as you've been mentioning, is we are talking about the rev clubs and the rev comms are organizing uh, break all the chains contingents that are going to be in the marches for reproductive rights. Now, this is something that is I think should sort of you know, people should have felt a little bit of a jump here. We're talking about working, you know, uh, break all the chains, bring, organizing break all the chains contingents in the marches for reproductive rights, the right to abortion in many major cities. And, um, but first, you know, I want to talk this, you know, the slogans, because, you know, a lot of times people will come out and they'll march or they'll do this or that. But there's a real importance to these slogans that are being put out now, because it's not just saying, you know, we're all one big, ha- you know, one big angry. You know, it's good that people are angry and want to get out and do this and make the, make their stand. But it is also important for people to understand the purpose of the contingents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, a lot of what's in, in these slogans really concentrate, right? Like these are not just empty slogans, as you said earlier, right? They really do have an element of defiance and also like really putting forward again we're not just raising our voices you know or it's not just the protest it shouldn't just be a protest as usual where we just you know uh demand you know the that these people in power do something we know what they're doing you know we know that the republican fascists are passing these laws we know that the democrats are saying you know just get ready for a 40-year fight around this and an electoral strategy and meanwhile how many women are going to be sacrificed in this we know what they're saying so this needs to be a march that one is not symbolic it's not just a one day feel good i did my part now go back to my usual life but but one that is the beginning of determined resistance to actually stop this and that means these contingents need to be as powerful they need to be lively and they need to be representing the kind of future that we're talking about these contingents will lift people's sights and call them forward to get organized for a real revolution. Marching under the banner, break all the chains, unleash the fury of women as a mighty force for revolution. And this slogan, patriarchy and capitalism, 
you can't end one without ending the other revolution, nothing less. There's no other way besides this revolution to bring about a society where the right to abortion and women's basic humanity is never again put up for a vote and where all oppression and exploitation is being dug up and overcome. And we're in a rare time when this revolution has become possible. And right now, precisely as millions are reeling with shock at this fascist assault and the many other horrors ripping society apart, we not only need to, we can make big advances in organizing for an actual revolution. And this this contingent is, is going to be bringing together all kinds of people, you know, that are sickened by this, that want to act on it, and that, that are themselves finding out about this revolution and are representing for this revolution. Well, one thing that actually, it's something that I, I, I was thinking as you were talking, I'm listening to you, and I keep thinking about why should people join the contingent? What are mm-hmm. we talking about there? Because, you know, this is, you know, there's a whole, I got a whole series of text messages laying out three reasons. What are you telling people? Why should they, why should they do this? What, what makes it different than just going out with your friends, marching in a parade, and then coming back and saying, okay, we did that. That's, that's fine. People, there will be many people that do that, but there's actually a bigger movement there. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to t- talk with you about that. Why should people join the contingent? Mm-hmm. So, you know, this bound up with some of what I've been speaking to. You know, this, this is an emergency, you know, and, and this isn't just something that there's a lot of misunderstanding out there, including some of my own experience, which people, if people go on the our YouTube channel, the RNL show, there was a, a segment yesterday in in, the, in a new episode where I talked about my experience and being very ignorant to what even an abortion is, you know. But there's one, a lot of misunderstanding around this, but there's also like a lot of um, stigma, you know, where people, you know, th- this needs, this is the importance of our slogan, abortion on demand and without apology. People need to be out in the streets around this right now to actually defend the right to abortion, but also to push back these attacks because these are attacks. It's not just a law, a question of like, okay, let's change that law for this law, but these are this is an assault on women. And anybody who cares about the, you know, the half of humanity that is female should be out in the street. And when you join, if you join this contingent, you are saying that you refuse to accept this and you will fight it and you'll be calling on others to fight it. October 2nd needs to be a turning point and building relentless in the streets resistance, not symbolic protest, raise your voice for an afternoon and go home. But these break all the chains contingents will be loud, lively and defiant, sending the message and challenge. No going back, no surrender, abortion on demand and without apology. And you should come and you should recruit your friends to come because you are picking a side in the battle for the future, which is already raging all around you. And, and as I just said, you know, most importantly, these contingents are going to be lifting people's sights and call them forward to get organized for a real revolution. There is no ending patriarchy under the system of capitalism, imperialism. We got to overthrow this whole system. And we have leadership and strategy. And now is a rare time when we can actually make revolution. Let me jump in here. Um, well, first, let me uh, remind people that you're listening to The Michael Slate Show. And I'm talking today with Michelle Chai. And we are talking about the Revolution Club. We're talking about what's going on this weekend, the need for people to step up and, st- and to step up and move out in, in terms of fighting against this, like, just horrific, horrific, you know, oppression of women. And basically, in a lot of ways, if you care about humanity, you have to pay, you have to pay attention to this. It's not something that you can just turn your eyes away from and say, oh, well, you know, it happens all the time. Now, I know that, uh, you know, Avakian, Bob Avakian, the leader of the revolution, has a lot to say about why we need an actual revolution in relation to this, not how we just need to, you know, 
there were three reasons that have been put out about why people need to do that. Um, I can't remember if you said, if you mentioned that, but if, we, if you haven't, we can talk about that a little bit. But I also want to talk about Bob Avakian, the leader of the revolution, who's had a lot to say about why we need, not something bigger, why we actually need, in the face of this, we need an actual revolution, how we can do that, and what the future of society can look like. Yeah, I mean, this is the the a quote that we've been getting out from Bava Vakian as part of building these contingents. He says, you cannot break all the chains except one. You cannot say you want to be free of exploitation and oppression, except you want to keep the oppression of women by men. You can't say you want to liberate humanity, yet keep one half of the people enslaved to the other half. The oppression of women is completely bound up with the division of society into masters and slaves, exploiters and exploited, and the ending of all such conditions is impossible without the complete liberation of women. All this is why women have a tremendous role to play, not only in making revolution, but in making sure there is all the way revolution. The fury of women can and must be fully unleashed as a mighty force for proletarian revolution. And this is where one of our slogans comes in, right? Break all the chains, unleash the fury of women as a mighty force for revolution. And there's nobody that's talking about this in the way that Baba Vakin is, going all the way to the roots of where this oppression is coming from and how you can actually end it. Not under this system, not by trying to vote in women in power, not by, you know, changing laws here and there, but by getting rid of this whole system that has male supremacy and white supremacy woven into it. Mm -hmm. Now, tell me this, you know, and, and I think this is important. Um, Henry, yeah, let's play that clip now and see what, and let, let's take a listen to this and then we can come back on that. And what about the situation of women in this greatest of all countries, having to live in a man's world, that is, a world of male supremacy, a world of rape and sexual assault? Think of this fact. Between one-fourth and one-third of all women in the U.S. will be raped or sexually assaulted in their lifetimes. A woman is raped almost every minute in this country. Now, this makes me think of something that the great African-American novelist and writer, Richard Wright, put into the beginning of one of his books, Big Boy Leaves Home. It's a story also that begins in the rural South. It's a story of some young black boys who go out to have a little fun on one day. They go down for a walk by the river. They're having fun with each other the way kids do. They're laughing and playing. They're walking along the edge of the river and all of a sudden they take a turn in the river and there is a white woman bathing in the river and suddenly they're struck with terror because they know through no fault of their own and purely by the accident of making that curve in the river, their lives are now in danger. That they could be lynched just for coming upon this white woman in this way. And this same kind of situation exists for women throughout the society. You go shopping. Maybe you have to go at night because you work during the day. You come out of the store. If the lights aren't working in the parking lot or if you're parked in the wrong place, you have a real fear of being attacked and raped. If you're walking down the street and there's a place there was a little bit hidden where somebody could be hiding, you have a real fear of being attacked and raped. If you go the wrong place at the wrong time or if you do something that some asshole says means you asked for it, you could be attacked and raped. Now, Elaine Boozler is a comedian. She got at this point 
and a way of using hum humor to illustrate a very serious and deadly thing. She told about how, in one of her routines, she told about how she came out of a movie with a male friend of hers, a good friend, and he said, oh, it's a beautiful night. Why don't we go for a walk down by the river? And she said, well, maybe it's safe for you, but I don't think I'm going for a walk down by any river. It's late at night, it's dark, and I'm carrying a vagina. Now, this is a way to use humor to make a deadly serious point. And another cold statistic captures a real horror lived by women every day. A woman is battered in the U.S. every 15 seconds. And by far, this is done most often by their boyfriends or husbands who have been trained and conditioned to view these women not as equal partners, but as something like their property, their possession, and a breeder of their children. For most of the time the United States has existed, and even within, even within the lifetimes of many people still alive today, there were laws in many states in the U.S. which in terms of the rights of persons did not include women in the category of persons with these rights. And these laws and the customs that went along with them openly treated women as inferior and subordinate to their husbands and to men in general. As I pointed out in the book, Preaching from a Pulpit of Bones, up until less than 20 years ago, there were still states in the U.S. where there was no such thing as marital rape, where a husband could legally force his wife to have sex with him whether she wanted to or not. And for most of the history of this country, this was a situation for wives in general. And then there is the move, backed and encouraged from the highest offices of the land, to keep cutting back and ultimately to take away from women the right to have an abortion. Upholding and fighting for the right of abortion is a crucial part of fighting for the emancipation of women in the fullest sense. It is a crucial part of freeing women from every form of domination and oppression by men, breaking the chains on half the human race, enabling women to take part fully and equally in every sphere of society, and in the struggle to radically change all of society. Denying women the right to abortion, denying them the right to decide when or if they will have children, with everything that means and all the effects that will have on their lives. Denying this is like battering and rape. Denying the right to, abor to abortion is a means of exercising forcible control by a male supremacist society over the very lives of women and over their bodies. That's Bob Avakian, the chairman of the, uh, <laughs> of the revolutionary, <laughs> the revolutionary movement in this uh, in this society, I, I have to say it. I think there's no one like a Bacon in terms of breaking down the truth and the truth that we need to hear and the truth that actually helps us understand what all the rotten stuff that's going on and how we can deal with it. How we can how we can actually, you know, work on getting rid of that, making sure that it doesn't do the do, make the horrendous things that 
go, that go on, go keep, keep going on. Now, you know, I, we talked about B.A., about Baba Vakey and the leader, as being the leader of the revolution. He has a lot to say about why we need an actual revolution and how we can do that and what the future society can look like. I think that's very important. But I know that you've also you've been discussing with students and others. Can you tell us anything about what people are thinking, what those people are thinking about the anger, the reaction to break the chains, um, unleash the fury of women as a mighty force for revolution, which is a slogan that actually has been out there for a long time, but it seems like there might be some hotter and more you know, ongoing response to that these mm-hmm. days. I mean, it's because it's such a, it, it really is, we're, we're sitting in the middle of a horrible, horrible situation. So let's talk about that a little. Yeah, I mean, first, I th- I think just even to the the clip we just listened to, you know, like Baba Vakian does a lot of important exposure on what the reality of, you know, what what it means to be a woman in the society as, you know, just even listening to this clip now, just really feeling like the anger and like what it actually means to be a woman in the society. But more than that, going deeper to where this is coming from and how we can end it, you know. And um, and this is why we follow Baba Vakian, you know. Nobody's actually brought forward a real understanding and a real, and is providing real leadership in this moment to like really ending this, you know. Um, and then, so we've been taking, you know, both the leadership of Baba Vakian and also, these break all the chains contingents to the different campuses. And there's a lot of important response in, you know, the moment and really people really trying to understand what is happening. You know, there's um, important, you know, just the other day when we put this to somebody and, and this young woman just said, look, I've had an abortion. I haven't, I've, I don't really talk about this with my friends or anybody, but I just, you know, I've had one and, you know, and, and the fact that women are being taken away this right is very dangerous, you know, and, and, and also for young men, you know, like feeling like, I don't know what it means to be a woman in this society and just having these important like back and forth with with young women to really bring bring alive what it means to be a woman in this society and why they feel like this uh, abortion ban is is a big thing and why people need to be like actually speaking out about this right now and actually fighting to be in the streets as a beginning of determined resistance to actually stop this. Now, we're going to say this again before we before we leave each other, but uh, be in the streets. What are you talking about? The Women's March has very correctly called for uh, protests across the country. These uh, March for Reproductive Rights and within those marches, the RevComs are organizing contingents, break all the chains contingents that we've been talking about through this whole show. And we will be marching under the banner, break all the chains, unleash the fury of women as a mighty force of revolution. All right. I'm glad I'm glad we got that out because I don't want people to walk away and say, yeah. wait a minute, what the hell's going on? He didn't, he didn't tell us what. So, so, but there's a, but the, on, a, on a more serious, you know, bent on this, you know, there's, there's been a very corrosive identity politics that's been out there where, mm-hmm. for example, men are not supposed to be fighting for an end to patriarchy and the oppression of women. They're, they're just allies. You know, or that, the, or the fact that since this is a, is America, the Texas law and all the anti-abortion laws make it much worse for, for for poor women and especially women of color. That white women have to be in the back of the line or something like that. You know, and of course, an older white man can have anything meaningful. Can't have anything meaningful to say about the emancipation of women. This is all stuff that I think actually stands in the way of what, what what's needed. I mean, when you think about this, you know, in the times that we've talked before in this and, and both both out of this area mm-hmm. as well as in times that you've been on the show. There's a, and, and what you're doing with, your, with your, your very life, you know, and the whole idea that, you know, I mean, I remember when I was, just, I was just getting ready for this and I was thinking, 
as I looked at the, the kinds of things that are being put out here in, in what you're saying and what Avakian's saying and what's being laid out around all this, there's a lot of stuff that people just don't get, how important it is mm-hmm. that this is there and what, what it's doing. And I wanted to ask you, you know, to touch on that a little bit because there's been, as I said, there's been years and years of very corrosive identity politics mm-hmm. where men aren't supposed to be fighting all this. The fact that, that this, since this is America, the Texas laws and the anti-abortion laws make it, as I was saying, make it much worse for poor women and especially women of color that white women have to be in the back of the line or something like that. You know, So it's a whole thing that sets up a whole sort of operational form that can only hurt you know, and can really can only hold things back. And actually, in the long in the long run, facilitate the 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 bull that's being put out, that the horrors that are being put out on women. So mm-hmm. let's talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's just even it's ridiculous when you really think about what's actually at stake. To really understand where this is coming from, you don't just I mean, look, there's the importance of experience, right? And we don't downplay women's experiences and what it means to be, you know, women can do a lot of important exposure. But as we just heard in the clip from Bob Avakian, so, you know, so can a man, you know, when you actually do have a correct understanding and a scientific understanding to really, you know, and also a heart for the people and an outrage that this is totally unnecessary. And that's why somebody like Baba Vakian really does stand out because you obviously he's not a woman. He's not somebody who, you know, has gone through anything that he's describing, but can really bring it to life in a very, in a very visceral way. And also in, coming from the future, coming from, you know, really understanding that women can actually live in a world where rape and sexual assault is no more, where women will have the right to abortion, you know, that's that's given in the Constitution for the new Socialist Republic that Baba Vakin has written. You know, you don't, it gets in the way, as you said, to really get to the root of this, but then also, who are we talking about here? What are we talking about here? Are we actually talking about putting an end to the oppression or are we talking about owning oppression? Because Bob Avakian and the RevComs are talking about ending oppression. Now, whoever you are, whatever your identity is, or if you've been told that to go to the back of the line or to be quiet and get off to the side, don't listen to that. Now is not the time to go along with that. Right now, everybody and anybody who hates this and who wants to see an end to this needs to be in the streets whether you're white whether you're black whether you're latino whatever if you whether you're male or trans or you know lgbt you need to be in the streets because this is a humanity question you know and 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 it's not just it shouldn't just be women in the streets as there should be women in the streets but everybody needs to be in the streets and raising bloody hell right now around what is being done to the half of humanity that is female you know and as some people have pointed out even trans people can get pregnant and that's true and this is all bound up together this christian fascist assault is not just an assault on women it's an assault on anybody who don't conform to their white male you know whatever vision of of the world okay um, I wish we could keep on talking because there's so much more to say, but yeah. that means that you've just trapped yourself into coming back. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, I'm serious. Yeah. We need to actually continue to follow this. Yeah, so people should go to revcom.us, that's R-E-V-C-O-M dot U-S, and sign up there and learn more about, you know, what this revolution is about and, you know, get with this. There's no, we can't be silent in the face of this right now. All right, Michelle Chai, thank you very much for joining us today and looking forward to seeing you real soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take care. 
All right, we're going to take a quick musical break and be right back, so stay tuned. back all right we are we got to push ahead real hard all right and uh, I wanted to actually in this next part of the show I actually wanted to uh, make a point here right several times on the Michael Slate show we've spoken uh, with Miriam Claren the daughter of Nahid Tagavi a German Iranian who is imprisoned in Iran Miriam has been fighting for the freedom of her mother and all the thousands of political prisoners being held by the Islamic Republic in Iran This past week, we received a press release from the International Emergency Committee to free Iran's political prisoners. So I'd like to read that now. The Islamic Republic is refusing an urgent medical furlough for political prisoner Nahid Taghavi, despite a surgeon's order. The International Emergency Campaign and human rights activists denounce the Islamic Republic of Iran and demand Taghavi's immediate release for medical treatment. Neurological surgeon confirms that Nahid Tagabi urgently requires back surgery. Although bail has been deposited, she has not been released yet on medical furlough. Tagabi's daughter, Mariam Claren, reported in a tweet today. On December 21st, Tagabi was examined by a neurologist at a hospital outside Evan Prison, where she's confined, who determined that she urgently needs lumbar surgery, according to human rights activist news agency. Nahid Tagabi is a 67-year-old German-Iranian citizen with multiple serious health problems, including diabetes and hypertension, who contracted COVID-19 in July and now suffers from severe back problems. Tagabi's family has agreed to pay for her surgery outside of prison and has already paid 2 billion tumans, nearly $50,000 bail for a furlough, which the authorities have thus far refused to grant. Nahid Tagabi has spent nearly a year in prison, including months in solitary confinement, and has been deemed a prisoner of conscience by Amnesty International. In August, after a trial without any semblance of due process, she was sentenced to 10 years and eight months in prison for participation in managing an illegal group and propaganda against the regime, charges she denies. In July 2019, the UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights in Iran expressed deep concern over the arbitrary arrest, detention, ill treatment and denial of appropriate medical treatment of dual and foreign nationals and Iran's practice of subjecting them to sham trials which have failed to meet the basic fair trial standards and convicted them of offenses on the basis of fabricated evidence or, in some cases, no evidence at all. What could the consequences be of ignoring the urgent order by medical experts for Tagavi's surgery? 
This wanton cruelty and deliberate neglect could severely impact Tagabi's life, perhaps even cost her her life, says Dolly Veal, spokesperson for the International Emergency Campaign to free Iran's political prisoners. Her life is hanging in the balance and delay may mean disaster. I ask you to immediately and unconditionally release Nahid Tagabi as she is a prisoner of conscience detained solely in connection with her peacefully exercising her rights to freedom of expression and association. Professor Azam Niraman Rad, coordinator of an Amnesty International group in Madison, Wisconsin, said in a statement, pending her release, give her regular access to a lawyer of her choosing and family, as well as to any health care she needs, including medication and transfer to outside facilities for surgical treatment, and ensure that she is guaranteed access to consular assistance from the German authorities. The international emergency campaign calls on all justice and freedom-loving people to demand Nahid Tagabi's immediate medical release, Veal states. Contact German Minister of Foreign Affairs Heiko Maas or the German consulate or embassy nearest you and demand Germany take active responsibility for the health and safety of its dual citizen, Nahid Tagabi. This means working for her immediate medical release without any further delays. And you can find all that contact information on the website for the International Emergency Committee or my Twitter feed at MichaelSlate195. All right, welcome back. Um, Right now, I'm very pleased to be welcoming some other folks to the show. Uh, First, it's Charlie Mount, director of a show I just saw recently, and Nick McDowell, I don't want to get this wrong, Nick McDowell Musala, um, an actor. And both of you, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Thanks. Us. Yeah, thanks. Did I get your? Did, did I get your? Was I close enough to your name? That's oh, the you question. were really close. That was great. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. And I know we have a limited amount of time, unfortunately, but I want I wanted people to know that you know we saw that we saw the play that you were doing, and um, it was just phenomenal. I was just just really dramatically moved by it. I thought it was a, a very important piece. Oh, and and it's, thank you so much. Yeah, sure, and and and. Thank you is actually <laughs> the thing, but you know because also there's there's a there's a thing here of like where a lot of people were like looking at it at oh it's going to be funny it's this it's this and then there were laughs and there were other things that were going on, but the main thing is is that you really did portray a certain you know a certain thing that's happening in the world a certain thing that's really important for people to understand, and I wanted to, to, to ask you guys what what you saw in this play that made you want to do this so maybe uh, Charlie we start with you and then we'll move on to Nick. Sure. Well, the first thing as a director that I saw in the play was that it was directable. It was, it was well-written, uh, great characters, uh, great structure to it. And uh, there was, you know, there was certainly a lot there for me to play with. But also, I'm very interested in the political ideas. Um, uh, I wrote a political play myself, Theater West did years ago, called The Leather, Ap- Leather Apron Club. And a lot of the ideas were, I found, very uh, similar. In fact, that's why I was recommended as a director for this play. The idea that of consequentialism, the idea that um, if you are, the means justify the ends, that if you're doing something for the political good of the country, then you are justified. And that's what Mark was writing about in this play. And I found that intriguing, the idea that, um, uh, well, the, you know, the play takes place in 1973 in, in Chile during the CIA-backed uh, 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 coup of Salvador Allende's uh, Marxist socialist government. And um, it, it's a comedy. It, you know, it's a thriller. I don't want people to get the wrong idea. We're not we're not polemics. We're storytellers. But there, but as you say, there are these these 
elements of these political elements that, um, even though it takes place in 1973, have a lot to say about our continued um, misfires of American adventurism that continue to this day. Um, you know, as as we find out in, in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, where we try to uh, impress upon the world our our, our American ideals and and, uh, and 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 fail spectacularly all the time. So, I find all of that interesting, and that's what interested me about the play. And I wanted to bring it out in um, in an entertaining and in in a compelling fashion. And um, happily, I had a really well-written play to do that with. Okay, Nick, what about you? I mean, you know, I'm because th- I'm thinking, I'm looking at this, and I'm th- just listening, and I'm thinking, you know, the thing that's always in the background there is um, in the play is that is the elected government of Chile and what happened there, you know, and there's and even though it's like it's 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 not an you know a really strong part of this particular play. It does. It is there. It's always there. People who know what's happening, and and there's even references to it. It, it was, you know, some very horrible things were done, and I think it's it, it's really important for people to recognize. And I thought one of the one of the things that was really really good about what the what the play is doing is it's actually it's making that a known thing out there now in a way that hasn't yeah. been done before. So, what do you think of yeah. that? Well, yeah. I mean, I you know now all of a sudden, um, why? I, you know, I try to research as much as I can, and I'm still catching up. I just saw a, a Netflix documentary last night called The Massacre at the Stadium mm-hmm. um, about Victor uh, Parra, mm-hmm. uh, a musician. And it's like, yeah, you know, they, they're calling it the first 9-11. And, yeah, you're right. It's, it's the kind of thing that, you know, it's you're being reawakened to something that you probably should have always heard about especially because of the parallels and how you know we're still sort of influenced by the two competing ideologies in the play i think you know and 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 that's really why i mean like it's it's an incredible play it's 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 really funny um and and it has a lot to say but why i really love it is um i feel like the people are having those conversations in a very personal way uh, you know these big ideological conversations are, are just are between different ways of thinking are, are clashing in this hotel room, and that was I couldn't be more real for me, especially going through the Trump years, <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know, and and um, uh, yeah, so that, I just I just found it really personal, as well as you know as well as all all the other great things about the play. I was really able to dive in and uh, and relate to it. Yeah, you know, one of one of one of the one of the folks sitting here who actually also saw the thing with me, you know, I said has pointed out that one of the last lines was we have to spread democracy so we don't have to overthrow all these elected officials that we don't like, you know. <laughs> Which it's funny, but then it's also, whoa, wait a minute, what am I laughing at? <laughs> you know. So. Well, that makes that makes a it's a real change, I think, that uh, happened in American foreign policy probably back uh, you know, right after World War II. I mean, before then, American foreign policy was, let's protect the United States of America. Now, you can go all the way back to John Adams and the Barbary States and all of that, you know, all of our little American adventurism around the globe. But after World War II, it became more about, uh, no, nah, we need we need the rest of the world to become American now. You know, the um, especially during the, uh, uh, you know, after the war, the whole war on terror and, uh, you know, the idea that uh, we need to... Um, 
you know, I think I think what, what Nick said was interesting that that people have these conversations personally now because I think that's what the play talks about. Even though there are these these great political um, um, machinations going on between Nixon and Kissinger and the CIA agents in the hotel and the play, uh, what's really going on is much more personal. You know, I think uh, I think the play says that um, you know everything is very has little to do with political ideals and humanistic intonations of global harmony and it's much more to do with personal agendas egos and ethical rationalizations i mean the play really is about the characters motivations rather than their their highfalutin ideas what uh you know what americanism will do to help the world it really is i can i get the credit can i can i increase my own worth in the world can i get the job that i want you know and i think it really does i mean it's a lot it's a lot to do with um Personality. I mean, I remember back during the beginnings of the Iraq conflict with um, with George Bush, the people were talking about how you know a big motivation for him invading Iraq had very little to do with the war on terror and much more to do with the fact that uh, Saddam Hussein didn't like his dad. You know, <laughs> I find that insane. I find that crazy that you know massive armies are set upon the world because somebody got mad at somebody else. It's it's really crazy, and it's it's uh, it affects us all, and affects us for decades. And, um, yeah. and and I think the play really brings that out: the idea that these personal aspirations lead to these global, massive complications. Yeah, but there's more to it than that, too, though, because you, I mean, there there is when you think about that, the whole way that stuff was being, it gets done in the in the you know what they used to be called the third world, you know, where people people have people have look people. The rights that people have in that part of the world are the, are the rights that the various imperialist powers give them, you know, and, and they can be taken away very quickly, as we've seen. And actually, that was one of the things that, you know, as, as I was watching the, the play, it was sort of, it really struck me, this idea, not just, the, you know, there was like, America had made a decision about what was going to be done with that part of the world, you know, and, 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 and the irony there is that, you know, we did have something that was done to that part of the world that was real and it was there and and it caused a lot and that that Allende his his name is there all the time you know and it, and if you knew and I th I felt like it was reminding us that there was a bigger thing that really happened that did this and and I think that's something that's really important for people to pay attention to because your play was really really I really enjoyed it and I thought there was there was stuff that made you laugh there was stuff that made you went whoa but there was actually at the end for me anyway and and the, the folks that I went with we really felt a a, a a a sort of a necessity to understand what was you know what is what is life like in the, that part of the world and especially when this part of the world is making it so terrible for people. So let's, yeah, I would. That's amazing. Yeah, go ahead. We'll speak to it then. Man. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I, it, it's it, it's remarkable. I mean, like uh, you, you say that we did we did a great thing over there. I mean, like we, you know, we perhaps could. I don't know much about the history, but we could, perhaps could have been encouraging them to be democratic, and then um, and then and then yeah, when they when they didn't. When they didn't behave the way, I guess we or certain people wanted them to behave. Nixon's on record of like this is an embarrassment if a if they elect a Marxist. Um, uh, so like, yeah, it's just it it's 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 a double standard. It's it, it's kind of it's it's kind of but at, at the same time, I mean, what did you know? What did we experience on January sixth? I mean, like mm -hmm. what did you know? It's it's um. So I really appreciate that that that's your takeaway that it 
it, it, it made you want to investigate further. I, I think that's, I think that's an amazing thing uh, for a play to make you feel mm-hmm. that way. Yeah, I agree. Unfortunately, I also am running out of time. I'm going to be whipped <laughs> if I don't. But I really want to thank you guys for doing this. And I, all right, folks, I want to thank you very much for uh, really. I, I, I talked with my friends about this. I talked with the person I went to see it with on the way home. All this stuff. So once I again. Yeah, once again, I thank you, and I look forward to talking with you again. All right, so take care. All right, we've got some time left, so I'd like to play another clip from a speech by Bob Avakian, the chairman of the Revolutionary Communist Party and the architect of the new communism. Now, this is an excerpt on the right to abortion and the oppression of women from a speech he gave in the fall of 2012. VA Speaks, Revolution, Nothing Less. And along with this, women are subjected to continual assaults on their right to abortion and even birth control. Don't let these people tell you, these so-called right-to-lifers, that the issue is the killing of innocent babies. The issue is the control over women exercised by forcing them to be mothers, whether or not they want to be at that time. Now, to have children, to raise children, can be a really beautiful experience if that's what you want to do and if you feel in a position to do it in the way that you feel that it should be done. But to have it forced on you is virtual enslavement. Not to even have the choice as to whether you will do that. And here's the key to how you know, or one key to how you know this is not about killing of innocent babies. Try to find one of these rabid anti-abortion groups that is also not opposed to birth control. You'll have a very hard time. They're all opposed to birth control because the issue is not the killing of innocent babies. It's the control and subordination of women who are regarded as getting all out of hand these days in this society, which is another reason why we have, or a contributing factor to why we have this vicious pornography. So the goal of these tax attacks on abortion and, yes, on birth control, the right to them, is to deny women the ability to, dis- to determine something as basic as when or if they will have children and raise children or be part of raising them, forcing motherhood on them once again and enslaving them in that way. Along with all this, millions of women and girls Millions every year in this country alone are raped, assaulted, battered, and abused, often by those who claim to be their intimate lovers, while the half of humanity that is female is everywhere treated as less than fully human. Once again, I think about the experience of black people in slavery. You know what one of the main terms the slave owners used to describe the slaves? Talking tools. Because this is how they regarded them, and this is how they were treated. They were put on the auction block to be sold, and their physical attributes were examined. Their teeth, if they were women, their reproductive potential, their body shapes, their ability to work hard, their musculature. All this was examined in the most degrading way. And you think of the same thing with women today. Reduced to objects to be used by men. Treated as brood animals to turn out babies. 
and as unthinking flesh to be consumed and plundered with their bodies and body parts used to sell products, pimped out and beaten into submission, plundered to portray and promote sex as conquest and domination by men instead of shared pleasure based on mutual affection and equality. All of this degrades and demeans not only the women who are directly subjected to the most extreme forms of this, but all women everywhere. What kind of system is this? And why should anyone accept that this is the best possible way the world could be? And those whose sexual orientation is different from and seen as posing a threat to the dominant gender and sex relations, lesbian and, lesbians and gays, bisexual and transgendered people, or those who are simply unsure about their sexuality and questioning it at a given time, are harassed, bullied, often bullied to the point of committing suicide, brutalized and even murdered. And despite certain changes in law and government policy, the reality of LGBT people being discriminated against, insulted, and even assaulted continues as a marked feature of the culture and society bound up with deep-seated structural relations of this whole system, closely connected to the patriarchy and male supremacy that oppress women. All right, once again, that was Bob Avakian, chairman of the Revolutionary Communist Party from BA Speaks, Revolution, Nothing Less. And you can find the whole speech and much, much more at revcom.us. And that brings us to the end of yet another show. I want to thank my assistant producer, Henry Carson, my production assistant, Jeff Pryor, and each and every one of you for tuning in. If you want to share your thoughts and ideas about the show, or if you want to volunteer to be part of the show, write to me at mslate at themichaelslateshow.com. Once again, that's mslate at themichaelslateshow.com. I wish I knew how it would feel to be free. I wish I could break all the chains holding me I wish I could say all the things that I should say Say I'm loud, say I'm clear For the whole round world to 